it's life or death up here sometimes when it comes to us supporting one another. Here in Sitka, you know, right now we're sitting here and it's a beautiful sunny day outside, but sometimes the wind goes 60 miles an hour and the rain is sideways and you can't see anything. And, you know, there are a lot of kind of natural disasters that we're on the precipice of here. And if it weren't for the fact that we all work together to survive, it would be a different story. Every part of our existence is interdependent and part of everyone else's experience, and that's part of the radio station, too. Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. Across the way from me is Eric Klein. Hello, everybody. Today's episode is definitely for the love of radio. Yes, and I'm Paul Riespendel, by the way. Radio, you know, in a recent episode of Radio Survivor, I I kind of tongue-tied myself talking about uh, the region of the planet, northern Canada, southern Alaska. I got myself all twisted. The Arctic and subarctic because, regions. Because when you live in the big city your whole life, you put a lot of strange romanticism out on uh, those parts of the world. You call them the edge of the world. You call them the wilderness. You embarrass yourself with that kind of language. Paul, you went and visited. Well, yes. Yeah, so I was recently in Alaska and visiting still places that um, by Alaskan standards do not count as the wilderness. They are populated. People <laughs> live there. I didn't spend a lot of time in, say, Anchorage, which is the largest city. It's like a quarter million some people. Lots of radio there, I'm assuming. <laughs> well, you know, what you would expect from a city of that size uh, it has in terms of radio. But I had the opportunity to visit a friend of the show, Becky Byers. Uh, Becky used to work at KBOO, KBOO Community Radio here in Portland. Back in the big cities. Back in the big cities. <laughs> in Portland can be such And a last city. fall took a job as general manager of KCAW. KCAW. KCAW in Sitka, Alaska. Raven Radio. Raven Radio. So I had a chance to visit there, to see the station, and to talk to Becky about, about doing this kind of radio in a, in a small town of about a th- about 9000 people just about it's in southeast alaska and so you know if Sitka's you think small, of alaska 9, and there's a bit of alaska that kind of comes down alongside canada to the south there and it's the alexander archipelago mm-hmm. And the nearest... It's by the Pacific Ocean. Yes, it's it's in the Pacific Ocean. It's in the Pacific. It's an island. It's actually made up of two islands there Mm -hmm. in southeast Alaska. And, you know, the closest big city, so to speak, is Juneau, which is the capital of Alaska. And all this is is so interesting and important to your interview because the community radio for the community of Sitka, Alaska, is... It's there in that place. The the ocean... (laughs) is an important part of the community. The people who work on the ocean well, and boats is, and this is, is an important very part of the true, community. You know, and, and by Alaskan standards, Sitka is not a tiny town. Yeah. Right, at 9,000 people. So we have to kind of take that into account in that, in that Alaska, towns are very separated. There is not a lot of road and highway. They're not connected by freeways the way we right. are we used to We think of the lower here. 48, right? Yeah. People are connected by sea, by boat, by plane and, and in some cases by rail. It's sort of a different way of thinking about community radio. There yeah. in Sitka, there are three radio stations. Hmm. There is KCA and two commercial radio stations. 
three radio stations. Three radio stations. Just underlining that. Because there aren't there aren't three that we're not mentioning in addition to those three. Yeah, there There's, are three there are radio three stations. stations. Um, KCAW also has translators. It's a lot of empty space on the dial. And, you know, you can sometimes get in stations from, say, Juno, mm-hmm. right? You know, on AM and sometimes on FM. But in terms of serving, really, the community of Sitka. Yeah. Which many people know is the city of Sitka because it's, it's a big stop for cruise ships. Okay. And in many cases, when there's a cruise ship or two in dock, uh, the population nearly doubles. The restaurants have a have a have a good time. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> the gift shops. But there are people who live there overdrive. who live there year round yeah. or live there seasonally. So you know there is that that actual population of about nine thousand people, and they serve a bunch of other even smaller towns throughout the Southeast region through translators, right? These are repeater stations that are in towns of Port Alexander, Yekatat, Angoon, Cake, Tenneke Springs, Pelican, Elfin Cove are the cities that they also serve. And so they're serving both Sitka and these other cities. And I actually was in one of them, Tenneke Springs, mm. that you'll hear more about in a bit, uh, which is a small town of about 110 people during the summer wow. where there there is one road, but it's a dirt road and there are no cars. And so you, you come in either via a ferry or via a seaplane, which they call float planes. I came in via float plane and folks in Tenneke talked about KCAW because it is the radio station they principally rely upon I re- I really love for their information. When on Radio Survivor, when we sort of, um, where we visit radio stations that are in places other than the big cities, because I think that the that those stations sort of are like a reduction of everything radio is or can be. Um, or really a distillation. That, yeah. It, you can see it so much more clear. I'm thinking about the time that we had a wonderful interview talking with uh, – the the, the the individual that ran a radio station in Antarctica, right? Such a small community for this community radio station that it really sort of um, threw into relief what what stations are all about, what this community word really means when the when when the community gets so small. So so the station itself is located in a house which the station owns. It's right on the edge of downtown. And actually, the downstairs, there's a restaurant yeah. called Beak, where I had a very lovely brunch. Um, and it also houses a little store where they sell the station's merchandise, like T-shirts and other things like that. And there's one studio downstairs, just adjacent to the restaurant. But the rest of the station is on the second floor. Mm-hmm. And they renovated it in 2012 to kind of bring it up and make it a little bit more modern. And I went up there. It's very lovely, uh, very nice. We'll have photos of this all at Radio Survivor. K-Caw in Sitka, Alaska, Raven Radio. And they have, you know, they have uh, professional staff, which includes uh, Becky Myers, our friend who is general manager. There's a full-time news director, a full-time program director, and one full-time city beat reporter. I'm so pleased to hear that, that the community of Sitka, Alaska, which is, as you described, 9,000 people plus some outlying neighborhoods basically it's tiny villages has a full-time news director at a community radio station a full-time beat reporter for the city of sitka well again you have to take into account that there is no other radio non-commercial radio station right yeah. um so 
But that's still so special. k kind of sits in this place where it is both a public radio station and a community radio station. And it kind of provides service to both of, of those needs. And so, in fact, that's exactly where we can pick up here mm. um, in my interview with uh, Becky Myers, who is the general manager of KCAW. We acknowledge that no matter what the content happens to be, there's a public service to getting international and national news to people, especially in like rural areas like the ones we cover. And we acknowledge the importance of that and make space for that. But also it's important for people to hear their friends and for them to be able to connect with their community station in a way that, you know, like it expresses the look and feel and sound of the community. So you don't have another NPR affiliate in Sitka or in in this general area of no. Alaska? No, no. Um, so um, KCAW is a part of the Coast Alaska group of stations. That was a collaborative founded um, some time back of um, coastal public community stations. So um, we're a part of it. Um, KBRD is one station, K2 um, Oh, so Ketchikan, KBRD, um, Juno K2, Wrangell, KSTK, Petersburg, KFSK, and Unalaska, KUCB, um, were, you know, the sole service providers for public media in all of those areas. And in some cases, we're the only radio station. And in other cases, we're the only, like, mass media information channel at all. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. We, we, we're, there isn't a lot of competition in that way. There, the markets are super small. I mean, here in Sitka, we're under 9,000 people, um, but people really cherish it and they make the radio the way they want it to sound to you. Right. And you have 9,000 people roughly in Sitka, and then you also, you have translator stations mm-hmm. that get you into some even smaller, more yeah. remote communities, correct? Yeah, yeah. I was in Tenneke Springs earlier as part of my travel. So it's a small community, about a hundred and some people yeah. during the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what, a person we were staying with, you know, mentioned KCA in particular, saying that you know it was an important information source for the community there, which otherwise has no other media really serving it. Mm-hmm. Um, and or cell service even. Right. Indeed. Exactly. They, they don't have cell service. Uh, many people have, there's Wi-Fi because they get it via satellite, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, it's something you have to go and, and, and pay for and get yourself. It's not something which is otherwise municipally provided. And he mentioned that, you know, in some cases, uh, KCOS sends messages, is willing to be a conduit of messages out to people who might be in, the, in these communities or in between. Mm-hmm. Can you That's tell me right. more about that? Yeah. Um, so those are called muskeg messages, and people will call in with a request for information that they're find- they want to find from the community, or they have um, something that they've lost or found, or you know they're trying to connect with somebody that they know is on a boat, or you know they haven't seen in a little while, and they may have been traveling. Um, it's a great way for folks to get the word out about that, and then to um, you know ask people to give them a call or whatever happens to be the you know, the information transmission in that case. 
Um, you know, I've been thinking about it because uh, it's sometimes difficult to get to these communities and they have technological challenges um, with our broadcast equipment. And sometimes, you know, like our community of volunteers that help in those communities, they may be fishing or, um, you know, have just like moved on and never, we don't have anyone there. I've been thinking about and so how to get taking there. care of like the little transmitters for yeah. the translator, right? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Like making sure the wiring's not frayed or, or whatever happens to be the case. And I've been considering like, oh, well, if I can't find somebody in that community, I need to go and figure it out. Cause our, our chief engineer is shared amongst all the stations and lives in Juneau. It's shared amongst all the stations in coast Alaska. In coast Alaska. Okay. Yeah. So he, he has a lot of work typically and is like pretty strictly scheduled. And so it's up to the stations to take care of their own broadcast stuff. A lot of the times and we get guidance, but KCAW is the only station. I think in even Alaska, we have the largest networks of network of translators so it's up to us to make sure things are okay, and if nobody's there to fix it, I may need to be that person, and I'm considering putting out a muskeg message like, hey, Fisher people, are you um, going to Pelican, for example? Would you mind giving me a ride? Call my number. And that will probably help me in trying to find my way to these different places in a way that's like cost-efficient, maybe not as time-efficient, but I, there's no way to avoid that here. Right. In Southeast Alaska, you you get to the places you get to, and th- then you're lucky. And then if yeah, you, how do you can you leave travel, in a few days, how do you travel to a place like Angoon or or um, or you know, and Cake or, or Pelican or any yeah, of those? Exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you you go by float plane or you go by boat, and some of those communities are served by the Alaska Marine Highway, and some are not. And the Alaska Marine Highway, for those who've not heard of it, what is that? That is our, um, I mean, it's exactly that. It's a series of ferries that function as our um, transportation infrastructure because all of these places in southeast Alaska from, you know, um, like from, from Saxon to Juneau to Wrangell, all these places do not, they're not on the road system. There's no highway. We can't drive anywhere so it we're really dependent on the ferry system to like do commerce between these places and people travel you know all of our um high school sports are super dependent on this ferry system so that they can go to matches or do the thing you know so it's the same for us like and the float planes they're very functional and useful we have a lot of really you know awesome credible providers of that service here but it's also costly and getting by on boat is the way a lot of people get around here and the muskeg messages is that something that that, when do they air how do they air they air all the time so part of our normal um like even within um like the volunteer programming and through our news segments and times uh, we have a number of things that we cover so reading the muskeg messages that happens for every show Another thing that happens um, for every show is that we read the weather and and that seems like a you know a benign thing to do, but you know we go into a lot of depth 
at different times of day because we have so many people that listen that are out on the water. And so we make sure to convey like the zone weather forecasts for all of our listening audience, which can take some time. And, you know, the way that weather works in Southeast Alaska, there's a lot of microclimates. So it can be sunny and beautiful and calm in Sitka, but in Elfin Cove, it could be stormy and really dangerous. So we make sure to get that information out along with tide tables and things like that. And, and I mean, in part, I'm, I guess part of my question is why have the community aspect at all when, I mean, really mm-hmm. the, the dominant model for rural service is, is often really just bringing in mm-hmm. the traditional public radio model, mm-hmm. you know, as in a public service model with with the real needs, information needs mm-hmm. of those local communities. Mm-hmm. And I think, it you know, it can be, it's often done well. Why also have then that aspect of community radio yeah. mixed in? I mean, like we, we, we have, it's a small island. We are... You know, we have 14 miles of road in the long, dark night. There's not much to do. And Sitka specifically has like a super creative, you know, like engaged community. And it only seemed natural that we um, have this relationship with the community where they would come in and inform the programming in this deep way. Um, Also, another part about the history of the station, it took them a long time to get the station on because it was critical to have it be built by volunteers in every aspect of it. So there were people, you know, putting up sheetrock. Why was and that stuff. critical? They wanted people to buy in. It was an ethos. Mm-hmm. So 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 if I can I'll repeat back to you kind of what I'm understanding yeah. then, <laughs> right, is that part of the aspect is is that community ownership mm-hmm. and feeling like it's knit in mm-hmm. to the community um, in a in a very deep way mm-hmm. rather than something which is kind of uh, just provided to? Right, yeah. It's exactly that. And also, it's it's not simply ownership and buy-in. That is super mm-hmm. important, but, you know, I think that community stations have the capacity to meet people where they are really deeply, and I think that is creating opportunities where people are. So if, you know, you have somebody who loves the station and their support means that they're like they help with the daily maintenance of the bathrooms or like they're a part of building the studio but they're just working on like wiring or whatever that that's an opportunity you have to provide and be cognizant of because a as everybody knows in community radio your staff are always doing things and you're over capacity literally all the time and then b this is a great way for people to show that they care for their community station it's truly built with their hands literally and it creates, I think, an interesting space. And also, you know, it, it gives it a little less of that weird power dynamic that can happen. Because I feel like in public radio, you have people on high, separate, or reporting, but they're just sort of observing. And it's this, I'm serving you what you want kind of ethos versus it being like everybody here is kind of on a lateral level. And that is definitely apparent here because when we started working in collaboration with the community on some of our efforts, they really stepped up to do that. I think it also shows in the way that we garner financial support. The community is like very aware of what it takes to put this radio station on the air. They're very aware of, you know, its maintenance and its importance. And so they step up in really meaningful ways. I think there's always been this tension in community radio between public access and public service. Mm-hmm. 
And sometimes attention is not, uh, very often attention is not explicit Mm -hmm. and people don't talk about it that way. Mm -hmm. Right. But it is often embedded in, in arguments about or discussions about do we air the syndicated programming or should it only be volunteers, Mm -hmm. et cetera, you know, and I think increasingly in, 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 in the, in the modern era, in the contemporary era, right. We're finding that neither being, being Catholic about either option may yeah. have problems. <laughs> and, and, and it probably is more problems mm-hmm. the more service that your station has the obligation to provide. Mm-hmm. If you have six community radio stations or six LPFMs in a, in a full power station, it's a different circumstance when you have mm-hmm. a station. Right, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's 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 simply the nature of the beast, right? You can you can delve into a niche more. You can definitely focus in on, you know, the public access piece and have that be your your MO and that's amazing. Like I I you know, having been in Portland and done so much work there, it was it was kind of cool to see like the different ways that radio stations serve the public as non-commercial broadcasters and then to come up here and have a station that has to be literally everything to everybody. It was, it was very different. And the shift in that totally was apparent. So in that be everything to everybody, Mm -hmm. uh, need that is here. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you decide how are programming decisions made specifically with regard to volunteer programmers Mm -hmm. since you know a dominant model in in many in much of community radio and that public access model is Mm -hmm. you know people come in and they get trained you know they get acclimated and often they they propose to do a show of of some sort a variety and it can be very 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 niche it can be broader Mm -hmm. but you know and many times it's 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 from station to station, there's a, there's a definitely a freeform aspect to it, even yeah. if it's not fully freeform. Mm-hmm. You know, um, even if you have sort of a strip programming model where you you program some, you know, like things like jazz or blues during the day, mm-hmm. and there's still going to be a wide variety in what people do. Mm-hmm. But given that you have perhaps more stakeholders in some ways, mm-hmm. how do you how does programming happen here? Okay. KCAW. It's it's definitely it, it, that's a great question, and it and I have to bring up that there's you know the other contradictory piece of like being everything to everyone is that we have a very small pool of volunteers, mm-hmm. and that makes it a challenge to um you know you don't have people knocking on the door and you're like okay I have you know five proposals and they rank in this kind of way depending on what our programming sort of focuses. It's normally like, oh, cool, like this human being stuck around for more than three weeks. And so we will train you to do a thing. Like, what kind of show do you want to do? Do you have interests that align with this block of programming that is has been this way for a while? Or do we need to reprogram that so that if it's with what you're more comfortable being in? I mean, our programming decisions, we try to stay somewhat agile and flexible and we keep an eye towards, you know, whether or not somebody can keep that commitment and be a regular person. We have flexibility around that too, because as I've mentioned before, 
people travel. They go and fish for months at a time, so they're not able to do their show. But you know, and you have, and and are volunteers able to make use of the automation? Yes, and we do have people who like they come in when they can. They record their show and then they put it in the vault. We use Audio Vault, and so um, it's a pretty easy intake process. We just put it in a folder. So where we have the ability for people to have that flexibility, but they have to demonstrate that they are committed to doing the thing. So it sounded to me like, and, and, and I, I want to make sure I got this correct, mm-hmm. that there's a little bit of like maybe you, with volunteers, you co-develop the kind of shows they're going to do, maybe a bit more so than what happens in other stations where, where frankly, they're, they're probably managing many more volunteers and mm-hmm. many more demands for airtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is that correct? Yeah, that's totally correct. Yeah. Do you have any, do you, and I, so I know you've only been here nine months, so that's sort of, mm-hmm. it's going to be hard for you to answer this question, but do you have, can you think of a show that's happened, that's gone on the air in, since you've been here that maybe it was kind of co-developed? Yeah, definitely. So, um, but, and this was a slot that I had occupied and when, um, you know, it became apparent that it was too much for me. And there was this other programmer who was interested in doing a program, you know, I happily stepped back. Um, but there is a show called Glunalchis, uh, and it's, um, that means thank you in Klinkit. Um, it is a, um, a gentleman by the name of Fred Olson who comes in and does a show that's primarily in Klinkit. And they... Um, you know, there are stories being told. He does um, field recordings of elders, you know, talking about things, uh, recordings of songs. And it's a really deep sort of, you know, peek into like the cultural life of, um, you know, him as a, a clinging person. So it's, you know, something that was co-developed with the program director because this person came in and he had, you know, like a, a, a an amount of acumen already, but needed a little more, um, you know, help around the production side of things. And so here at the station, we, um, you know, showed him a little more of how to work with our um, audition stuff, you know, how to create um, a way to play like all of these different pre-produced pieces as he wove it together live and provided support in that way. And it's an incredible program. Welcome to the show. Coming to you from the historic Cable House in Sitka, Alaska. Tonight, we're going to start with a story in the Inupiaq language. Later, we'll listen to a conversation in the Tlingit language between Margaret like it, Dutson it, I and have learned Marcia a lot Hodge. through listening to it. Well, and well, I know that right. folks listening, yeah. you know, who are like me, who hold privilege are not part of this indigenous community. We learn a lot, but it's also a place for somebody who speaks Klinkit to like tune in and hear their language spoken. It, it, it's interesting because also like, I think that there is sometimes a programmatic focus to, you know, especially if you're trying to be everything to everyone to kind of cater to the people who give you the most money or whatever, who maybe people that like, you know, don't like this specific kind of programming and they're super vocal about it. And here I think we're able to, to kind of, you know, disregard that to some extent because it is about 
being something to everybody. There are definitely people who are listening who aren't going to enjoy the classical music. Mm-hmm. And then the people that love their classical music, they can turn in at, tune in at different times and hear what they want. You know, it's, it's that community radio, like how to listen to the radio thing. And people here, they seem to get it really well. You know, it isn't that like, you know, they are like, what the hell am I listening to? And then they don't realize that they can tune in like an hour later and get something they might like. Well, because it seems like there aren't a lot of other models. You do have a little bit of commercial radio in the area. Yeah, totally. You know, so I've heard some country music and some classic rock. And right. And we have a talk AM station and that sort of thing. Yeah. But but people grew up with community radio and they know here how to listen to it. And there's some people who listen all day, and they they just love all of the variety. And then there's some people who only tune in for the oldies on Saturday, or they only tune in for the news, and they, they know exactly how to use the radio. Well, that's the voice of Becky Myers, general manager at KCAW, KCAW, Raven Radio in Sitka, Alaska, speaking with... Paul Riesvendel. My name is Eric Klein. You're listening to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. And what a unique community, public radio hybrid station for such a unique community, Sitka, Alaska. Yes, and I'll have some pictures uh, that you'll be able to see of the station, both the outside and the inside there at radiosurvivor.com. And one of the things I want to point out about Sitka, and this is an interesting point, is that it is actually the largest incorporated city by area in the entirety of the United States. (laughs) 9,000 people. 4,811 square miles. Wow. Bigger than Rhode Island is just the city of Sitka. Now, most people live in this concentrated kind of uh, downtown area, uh, which is located... On on one island, really, with and so some people may be spread out a little bit more, but that's the concentration of the of the population of Sitka, which is then also serving this radio station is serving people across uh, these other you know one two three four five six seven communities by wow. translator. So it's a very I, it's a, it's exciting to me to think about community radio like in the ocean, on the land, and on the sea there in Sitka, Alaska, because so many people are listening either on another island or out on their boats. Yeah, and so the station is also the primary service station for the emergency alert system. Yeah. And the way the EAS works is that in different uh, communities, uh, particular stations are considered kind of like an anchor station. And, and so other stations will be tuned in, have their EAS uh, receivers tuned into this other station. So it kind of spreads out. Uh, from station to station when there's an alert by, about the weather or an amber alert or or some other sort of emergency. And in the community of Sitka and throughout southeast Alaska there, uh, KCAW is the primary service that provides uh, those emergency alerts. I mean, I imagine earthquakes, the possibilities of tsunamis. It's also landslides. Landslides. It's a particular, is, is a particular issue because one of the things – we need to take into account, and something I saw vividly uh, visiting Alaska, is you are watching climate change happen in front of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I saw glaciers, and where they had marked out, this is where the glacier was in 1990. This is where the glacier was in 2000. And then it's another hundreds of meters away where the glacier now is today. Um, 
folks are really feeling that in the weather patterns, in right. there being uh, less snow than there used to be in many places, uh, causing all sorts of changes to their natural environment, which includes also uh, things that are very destructive to uh, human settlement, like landslides. Hmm. It's just one one example. And providing that emergency information um, is utterly critical. Uh, Becky told me about sometimes receiving uh, calls from, say, the harbor master, who is there at the, you know the harbor, which is a very big part of the community, a big source of its of its economics uh, life. Uh, will call up to the radio station and say, "So there's a big storm coming in. Uh, people need to come and make sure that if they have a boat here, it's secured, uh-huh. or maybe if they were planning on uh, going out, that th- they should cancel those plans." Yeah, and 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 to get that and to get that word out. So um, it's, it's such an interesting. Uh... Because, again, I'll use the word wild, forgive me, but because the Alaska is so much more wild, this community right, radio is, station exactly. really has a different role to play than the big city entertainment news and information sort of – and information in the big city uh, functions a lot differently well, and, than and out I in think, Alaska where – You know, I don't, I don't, and I don't know that you should – we should put up this – Say big city versus Alaska. Yeah, right. I think what we we need to just take in. I think what we should be respectful of context. There is lots of not big city radio in the lower forty eight. Yeah. There, all right. If you go across uh, stretches of the rural parts of every state, and and every state pretty much in in the in the union has rural areas, uh, and especially as you get to larger Midwestern and Western states, uh, these rural parts get further and further away from major cities. And by and large, there is radio in many of these places, and many public radio enterprises have taken that service model very seriously and invested heavily in translators throughout, say, the Rocky Mountains, throughout uh, eastern Oregon. What's different here, I think, that we're seeing in this Alaskan context, because places are even further away. Uh, from each other. So from like Juneau to Anchorage, right, to the two major, two of the major cities is 600 miles, right? You know, only, only I think in the lower 48 does Texas have comparable sorts of distances Mm. between places, you know, and, and Anchorage is still really considered uh, kind of uh, sort of South Central. There's hundreds and hundreds more miles of Alaska to the North and to the West you know, and so even and and then you get you know that that means that there's quite a bit of distance there to Sitka as well. So getting providing this service in this way, you know, is is trying to cope with the the particular uh, geography and the needs of the community. And so there are needs that we see like that in the lower forty eight. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, though, this is just it's sort of uh, amplified and sort of magnified bigger. in terms of, yeah, it is, it is simply bigger. Right. And yeah. there is less. And because of the geography, uh, you know, whereas there are highways of some sort often between most communities or at least roads, even in the lower 48 to most, you know, sort of smaller rural communities, uh, in Alaska, there is not a road, right? You just have the Alaskan Marine highway, you're which either, is, you're which is going, a ferry. You're either going by plane or by boat. Well, I love it. We're talking about a, a radio station, a hybrid public community radio station called KCAW in Sitka, Alaska. And we're, we're hearing an interview that Paul recently recorded with the general manager there, Becky Myers.
At different times of Raven Radio's life, there have been really creative and really motivated high schoolers who have the freedom to come in and they do their overnight show. And it, it has been stuff of legends for sure. People like, you know, I, I think also the, the previous station manager, Ken Fate, he was the program director before he started managing the station. Mm-hmm. And it, um, he had live remotes from like all sorts of random places. <laughs> Just sort of dra- drag around the Marty RPU unit Okay, so Marty RPU unit yes, is, is a, a live remote, like, kind of transmitter yeah. itself. It's got a um, an antenna in everything. Yeah. Um, but and he, so it's, yeah, it's it's radio frequency, it's line of yep. sight, you got to put up this antenna and shoot it back to the studio. Yeah, right, yeah. right. which is which is remarkable, but he would use that, like, going to his friends' houses where they'd be playing card games and, like, having jam sessions and stuff overnight, which... I think is like incredible. (laughs) Is there any any of that stuff we could hear? I mean, we, we have a lot of archives here at the station. We're also a part of the American archive of public broadcasting, but we've only had a a, a fraction of that work digitized at this point. So, and we do want to get that online. Um, You know, now that I'm, I'm in this position and we are one of our reporters, Catherine Rose, she's really interested in our radio plays we have one that's called Haven Bay that um, is legendary for being this kind of raucous community-wide thing. And it was done in the late 80s. And also Chris Merrick at KBU was involved in it, too. Mm. He um, produced all of their like visual assets. He like drew the posters and things like that. Um, but that has been digitized she's still doing some of the background research and hopes to put it out as a documentary thing. So we're, we're working on getting a little more of this like legendary archive stuff on the air. I mean, like Rich McClear is a a renowned, like he's, he's a great radio personality and has um, lots of cool traditional stuff that he started like the, um, the battery exchange during Christmas Basically, um, people, the idea was people would call into the radio station if they got gifts for their kids and they didn't have batteries in order to start it. So you would put the call out like, hey, I need some like, you know, C batteries at 205 Lake Street and somebody would come by with the batteries. But then it morphed into this like storytelling, like public storytelling kind of thing. And that I don't, I, they, we may still have that on the website to check out. And that's, and that's a practical there's a practical need for that because of, of the fact that, again, something I think people in the lower 48, it, it's easy for us to take for granted that you might pop down to the store these days even on a holiday mm-hmm. and be mm-hmm. able to find, you know, at least this, like, old pack of double A's at the Seven Eleven. Right. <laughs> I mean, here, you may not have them on the entire island, and it may not be for another few weeks before they come like, we get new supplies on the island. Because it's going to come by boat. It's going to come by boat, yep. And that, that, that really stymies the whole, like, I'm going to go out and get anything kind of right. thing. Um, sort of closing up, if you wanted to, someone who, you know, was you know, familiar with community radio and public radio as it, as it tends to be in the lower 48, mm-hmm. What's one thing you'd really want them to know and understand about KCAW and about about the Alaskan experience? 
it's life or death up here sometimes when it comes to us supporting one another. I mean, here in Sitka, you know, right now we're sitting here and it's a beautiful sunny day outside, but sometimes the wind goes 60 miles an hour and the rain is sideways and you can't see anything. And, you know, there are a lot of kind of natural disasters that we're on the precipice of here. And if it weren't for the fact that we all work together to survive, it would be it would be a different story. And you're saying work together, us, you're meaning everyone. Everyone here. So, so, right. And and, and yeah. that crosses political divides in a way that I don't see so often in the lower forty eight outside of like some specific things, you know? Like you know, people work together towards like, you know, feeding people that are hungry or like it's a specific kind of thing, but but it's everything here. Every part of our existence is interdependent and part of everyone else's experience and that's part of the radio station too. You know, and I think that being a public radio station and a community station and there being this kind of divide, I I don't necessarily ascribe to that as strongly as I might have in the past. You know, not simply because here I am at the station and leading it, but also, you know, like it's hard to ascribe a value in this like, you know, subjective way when you have so much at stake. And I think that with radio, even in major markets, you serve an important purpose and knowing what that purpose is and like kind of following that vision to uh, it's, it's, it's kind of end and then continuing on. It's something that we need to do. And and that seems like a really like what is she talking about super high level thing but you know we can't lose purpose we can't lose our sense of mission and here our mission is to provide that public service you know being able to tell people where to evacuate to an emergency or a tsunami or active shooter situation having a close relationship with the police department with the f- the fire department you know, other stations' purposes might be we exist to watchdog this behavior and make sure that people are, are providing service in a way that we all agree to. And that's totally great, but you can't lose sight of your mission. And that's, I think, you know, th- no amount of debate between public radio and community radio should ever transcend that fact. And so that's sort of the, the takeaway I want folks to have is like, you know, know who you are and do what you're going to do. The voice of Becky Myers, a general manager at KCAW, KCAW, Raven Radio in Sitka, Alaska, talking with us on Radio Survivor. Uh, Paul, you had a chance to interview Becky uh, just last week. Yeah, just yeah, just about a week and a half ago in the studios of KCON, lovely studios, and we were actually in the uh, downstairs studio adjacent to the restaurant. A brunch service had ended; it was closing up for the day, so it was it would have been a lot louder in there had uh, had we been there just a couple so that, hours earlier. So that that studio sort of. Uh... Out in public, in a way. In a way, yeah. It's still behind a closed door. It's not. Uh, I think maybe there's a window with curtains, and but, they and they do utilize it for some for live performances. At yeah, times. I love that. It really puts the community again into into community. Well, right, radio. it's right there, and and I think it is a community where everyone knows it's a community radio station. Yeah, you go, know, go I, get brunch and see the morning show get made. Exactly, and you know that last point that Becky left us with that that. 
you know, the advice to know your mission, to know your role, um, I think is one that really would serve any community radio station or podcast right. public station very well. I would, you know, podcasts need to ask that question more often. Mm-hmm. I so think so. I would, I'll agree with you there. And, and again, you know, with, with regard to podcasts, it can be, I just enjoy sitting down and talking with these people whether they are friends or whether you're doing interviews and I like to share it. And that alone can be a good enough mission to do it. If, if it's rewarding for you and it's worth the time and energy. Um, Often I think where people get mixed up and and, and it's the same kind of mix up that can happen in radio is when you're like, well, it seems as though we don't have a big audience or maybe we could have a bigger audience and you start confusing your mission with popularity. Mm. Now, I think in a place like Sitka, the popularity is a result of the mission. It needs to perform this important public service and role. And that role is for just about everybody. And that's not always the case, frankly, with, with most radio stations. It's a unique circumstance that this radio station has to be all things to all people, even if to some extent that all thing may be only catching the NPR news update on the hour or hearing the city hall report, right, at some point, or just simply getting the weather forecast and the marine forecast, um, and maybe not is the rest of the programming. Um, when you have 15, 20, 30 stations in a market, that becomes more diffuse. People don't rely on any one station in, in the same way, including community radio station. But nevertheless, your community radio station, there may be a fairly substantial or important number of people who do rely upon you. And sometimes it's easy to get seduced by thinking that a larger audience is important yeah. rather than being very direct and uh, very focused on the mission and maybe providing uh, that news and information and cultural stuff that right. that is otherwise hard to find, you know. And on the other side, you know, it's then maybe it's your job to help build the audience. So rather than saying, here is, we're going to make programming that attracts a bigger audience. Sometimes you need to think about how do we attract an audience for the programming we do. Yeah. And that's, I want to go back to something else that Becky said in the first half of the interview that we played earlier. And she mentioned that, you know, folks in Sitka kind of know how to listen to community radio. Yeah. And I've always thought that this is, this is an important fact that anyone who does community radio should understand is that the way we learn to listen to the radio is that there's channels, right? You tune to this frequency for classic rock. You tune to this one for, for pop country. You tune to this one for oldies. And most people, they can conceive of the idea that there's a schedule, right? And they may get the rough idea that think there's a, there's a morning show and there's right. different and evening. I love what they do on Sunday afternoons. I get right. it. Yeah. But that they don't think about radio that way most of the time, right? Yeah. That if they tune into your station, they hear jazz, they think it's a jazz station. And, and if they don't like jazz, they may never tune in, not ever realizing there's folk on in another hour or country or, or, or punk on in another hour. And it's not that we shouldn't program a station that way because people don't know how to use it. It means that there's an audience that needs to learn how to use it. So by necessity, folks in Sitka have learned how to use the station by and large. And what we have to understand maybe in a lot of other places, 
that necessity doesn't exist in the same way. The listeners are do not have a compelling reason to learn how to use their station. Now, there might be one, but it's up to you as the broadcaster to help them understand what that reason is and to teach them, knowing that it's not everybody is going to get it. But obviously somebody does, right? There's somebody listening to your station. There's somebody who likes it. There's somebody who gets how it's divided up and gets that it requires a little bit more active choice on the part of the listener to know when uh, the jazz show will be on or when there will be news and, and to choose to listen in. And then, of course, you have some segment of listeners that just love the variety, as, 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 as Becky alluded to. Some, po- some people are just like, oh, I love that it's just something different all the time I and I can hang day. with it, right? Yeah. But under, you know, it's, it's to remind ourselves that that isn't everybody and that to some extent learning to use a community radio station is an educational process in the same way that learning to use a podcast is an, is an educational process. That even as we're at this point and when about, we're about a third of adults in the U.S. listen to podcasts on any given month, um, we also have to understand that's like two-thirds who don't. And, and for some it may be there's no interest and some they don't really understand it. And for some, it may just yet be, I don't know how to use it, right? I haven't thought about audio on demand. I haven't thought about what it means or what there might be, or I don't even realize there's a show I might like. And so it's, again, it's yeah, that it's education not easy to process, find stuff you know, for you. or, you know, exactly. And even though it may exist, right? Uh, because it isn't the same experience as turning on the television, even if you have 500 stations of cable um, or, or satellite, you know, you probably had this program guide that you utilize. Um, I, you know, for instance, uh, my mother-in-law, who is who is in her 80s, um, came to our place and we don't have cable. We just have over-the-air television. And she's like, where's the program guide? Yeah. She's so used to using the program guide to know what's on. Um, and I'm like, well, we don't have one because we don't we don't subscribe to cable. Um, you know, you'll just have to kind of flip through the channels. And of course we don't have 500. We have, you know, significantly fewer cause we're using over the air television and the internet and then, you know, the internet. So I think that, you know, it's important to keep these things in mind that, you know, you can use, you have a mission, you know, why, why are you doing what you do and, and, and being clear about that. And, and, and look, it can turn out that your mission needs to be, yeah. um, Modified over time, influenced by changes in the community, changes in community needs, changes in the volunteers of the people who are at the station. You might you might uncover through the process of doing the work right. new missions that you didn't know had existed before, and you like those, and you keep, you follow that. So be willing trail. to modify and adjust, yeah. but to keep that mission up front, and then to understand that sometimes in doing the, in the mission in serving that mission, and and I think. You know, in our multi-channel era, we it's important to understand that the build it and they will come probably is no longer sufficient. That it, there is going to be some degree of marketing, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, whether it's a podcast or whether it's a, a radio station, of making sure the people who might like what you do know that you exist and know how to find you. You know, and this kind of dovetails to the point we had on on last week's show where we talked about a proposal in front of the FCC made by the National Association of Broadcasters asking the FCC to radically yeah. lift the ownership standards for big cities and get rid of radio ownership that, limits. That, that National Association of Broadcasters is is the big the big boys in the radio. Big, the big yeah, the big broadcasting lobby in the United States asking to get rid of ownership limits 
and all the smaller markets. Yeah. 200 some smaller Any, markets. Anything under the top 75 markets. Correct. The biggest places, the big, the top 75 biggest cities in the United States, all the rest uh, would have no ownership cap whatsoever. So one entity could own every stinking station in, in El the Paso, city of Texas. El Paso, Texas, yeah. on down the line of every other any any small town, uh, uh, Sitka, Alaska, uh, one station exactly. can own all of them. A tremendous amplification of what happened in 1996 with the Telecommunications Act. Oh, what a nightmare! And we talked with um, Kevin Erickson from the Future of Music Coalition, which has joined forces with the Music First Coalition, which you know they represent musicians of all stripes, including the recording industry, which is coming together to say, please don't do this. Right, the indies and the big boys. Because we we fear that it, that further consolidation would mean even more homogenization, less access for new artists, less diversity, uh, you know, more of the same old, same old, less, you know, fewer new artists, probably fewer artists of color, fewer women. Um, and that is not good for, for our culture. It's not good for information. And, you know, if such, you know, one of the things that I think we've seen with radio and why people say, you know, radio is dead or they say don't listen to radio is because they're exposed to three quarters of it, which is commercial and has gone through this process of consolidation, right? Where in, in even in, in fairly large cities in the middle of the day, you don't have live DJs. And the voice you hear on the radio may not be from your city where the programming decisions were made elsewhere, right? And and there's a lot more, they're tighter playlists, more repetition, fewer risks taken. And so folks say, well, radio isn't for me because they turn on the radio and, you know, they have a one in, they have a three and four chance of hearing something that they're like, oh, it's the same old, same old, this sucks. And often it means that someone doesn't even realize that they also have a one in four chance maybe of hearing something interesting mm-hmm. and local that they might hear uh, a public, a good public radio station. They might hear a good community radio station. They might hear a good college or high school radio station that delivers something good. And it's this, you know, subsidiary effect of how consolidation in commercial radio can also have uh, a deleterious effect on non-commercial on community college and public radio because it simply sort of chases people from the medium. Yeah. They quit looking to it. They quit thinking there's something there for them. Why would I need a radio in my house at all? Exactly. Which then makes it all the more uh, of an obligation almost on the stations that are doing something interesting live and local to make sure that people know about it. Yeah. Because you, you increasingly just can't take for granted like you could – uh, even just 20 years ago, that someone would hit scan or seek and find your station. Or that somebody who is open to the type of programming you do and likes local indie artists or is way, uh, you know, is looking for alternative news and, and, and ideas um, would even think it would be on the radio, that they're going to look exclusively on the internet where it would be great to find out there's a local station that's also on the internet, but where... Because the entire world is at your at your fingertips, you might not think to look for that local alternative. Um, you know, and I think that's probably even to some extent true for a station like KCA, where you know it fills this particular role that's uniquely filled by by radio because of the fact that it can be present even if you lose power if you have a battery powered um, you know radio. But you know. 
there is internet provider in, in Sitka. Mm-hmm. There is cell service, right? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> folks there are, are as connected. Even at in, the edges of this Rhode Island-sized city, they have... I mean, I can't tell you for certain. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, certainly in the most populated area, yeah. There is, you know, I had cell service. Sure. I had mobile Wi-Fi, etc. right? You're about as connected as you are in most you know, cities, small cities at the very least in the lower 48, you know, in, and even in Tenneke Springs where I spent about five days where they don't have a cell tower in town. Uh, people do have, you can get internet at the library. Uh, the folks we're staying with have satellite internet and you still kind of, you, you rely on that, yeah. you know, and, and you might turn on the radio to get your news or to get a little bit of information, but you might not otherwise turn it on. Um, if, because you still can actually use Pandora or your yeah. Spotify or, or something like that. Um, you know, there's, I think people there probably understand how when conditions get more extreme, having that radio at, at, at their service um, saves lives or at least, you know, helps you to, to really make sure that you, that you're safe you know, and that happens all around the world. It happens all around the lower 48 at times. Uh, it, it's unfortunate that sometimes it takes the wake-up call of a disastrous event to remind people like, oh my goodness, my cell phone doesn't work. I don't have electricity, so that means I don't have my home internet. I don't have my wi- home Wi-Fi. And the only way I would know what's going on is because I have a radio and because broadcasters uh, still do things like maintain generators to keep their transmitters and studios going even when, you know, municipal and uh, local utilities go offline. Let alone having an individual who's at the station at any given moment who... Or who who, can be at the station. and who knows it's their job to to take calls, to reach out to local authorities that might know what's going on in the city or uh, rural place and and then repeat that information, report that information back to the listeners. Um, I think that that's... um, more than just a station staying on the air these days, like how many human jobs are still a part of that station to keep that kind of, uh, keep the That's dream right. alive. That's right. Of having voices there to tell you what's going on in the world. These aren't just transmitters. Yeah. It's a, it, it really is driven by people and it takes a person there to, to make these decisions and to take the microphone and the controls. I'm just still so excited that Becky Myers there at KCAW in Sitka, Alaska is not just the general manager, one staff position, but that there's a news director position and a local reporter position. And they have, and they actually bring radio in station. Uh, paid fellows right. in the summer and the winter uh, who are journalism students to come and learn about, you know, kind of city level reporting. Do the news. To do uh, the news. What an incredible community and resource. It's because. The people. I mean, it's it's largely because the people of Sitka and the surrounding area continue to support it. They I made mean, this it choice. It is a listener-supported station, just yeah. like most community and public stations. So I really appreciate uh, Becky's willingness to uh, host me there in Sitka, show us around, and yeah, congratulations and on the new position, Becky and Myers, talk with us there. Uh, we'd love to know what you think. What? Did, what? Did, how does this make you, or does it make you think differently about the role of community and public radio, not commercial radio? I'm um, hearing more about this Alaskan context. Drop us a line. Our email is podcast at radiosurvivor.com, or you can tweet at us or Facebook us. We're Radio Survivor. You can find us real easily. You have you have a search engine, and we and we are there, and we are a listener and reader supported enterprise. To learn more about how. 
one can support what we do, go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. A very direct way you can help us do this work is by contributing to our Patreon campaign. That's where folks uh, pledge to give us uh, a little bit of money every single month to help fund uh, Radio Survivor, the podcast radio show, which goes out now to nearly two dozen uh, radio stations, community radio stations around North America and internet stations around the world um, for free. We don't charge them because we want to spread this great word of community media. They wouldn't pay. They, well, not, <laughs> not so much that they wouldn't, is that mostly they couldn't. Yeah. Mostly they couldn't pay. We'd, we'd be asking station managers to pay out of pocket for the So exactly. You're, you're, you, so you're not only helping out us, but you're helping out community radio listeners uh, around North America. Uh, so you can help us out. But one thing we're trying to do is we've talked about we'd love to tell the story of low power FM and the indie media movement and how these things came together and coalesced, how we created the largest expansion of community radio ever in the United States in the early 2000s. And how this came together with a movement that inspired people and trained people and got people, uh, turned them into citizen journalists and independent media makers in a way that, again, had, in terms of scope and scale, had, had never been seen before. These two movements worked together, and, and sort of the big moment in which they came together was the WTO protests in Seattle, uh, the so-called Battle of Seattle, which happened in November 30th of 1999. We're about to have the 20th anniversary this year. And so we'd like to take that moment to begin telling the story, recounting it, talking to people who were there, the community radio activists, the the micropower unlicensed radio activists, the public access TV activists, and the and the you know the people-centered technology act activists who helped build infrastructure that never existed before, right? Years before a Twitter or a YouTube, the infrastructure for people to publish directly to the web, what they might see on the streets of Seattle. So they could tell the story of what was really happening rather than what would be seen from a NBC helicopter and, and mostly contain what would be the, the stories of the police and the authorities rather than the, the stories of the union members, uh, the environmentalists, and the other folks who were opposing uh, a particular type of globalization. We want to go back because it, it's an important anniversary because then in 2000 is the creation of Low Power FM, that greatest expansion of community radio we've ever seen. Um and they're so knit together. And the story is, we risk losing it. We know a lot of these folks. We can get in touch with a lot of these folks. But we want to tell this story in a way that it's preserved. And also, you know, younger folks and new generations of people thinking about community media uh, can learn some lessons or maybe carry forward some traditions. So we need your help to do this. We'd like to get 100 patrons by July 1. We get about fewer than 30 days to do that. Um but we get there if you just pledge $1 a month, $2 a month, $5 a month. Coming up, we're going to make an announcement for a very special reward that we'll be able to offer. So you do want to stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, go to our account uh, at Patreon, patreon.com slash Radio Survivor. And please sign up to help make that contribution to help us make this, we think, very important work happen. Yeah, the voices of, of people who people who who did the impossible who like uh, you know through through activism and organizing uh built a whole new kind of community radio for the united states 
and I get, I mean, it's just exciting to think about um, all of the young people, people in their early 20s, teenagers right now, who have the opportunity to make radio in a way that would have been uh, denied them without these stations, without new stations going on the air in in cities and towns all over the United States. There's all these new new radio makers that have that chance to learn the craft once, you know, another generation not being left behind this one time because of uh, radio shrinking. Radio didn't shrink against the odds, really. Yeah. Radio was supposed to have shrunk down to its... Uh, down to its uh, but, drownable but now in the there bathtub are more stations nub. of all types than yeah. ever before and, in history in, in the United States. And it's it's truly an untold story. It's certainly something I didn't comprehend at all until we started producing this here radio program, you know, just hearing uh hearing hints at this uh, that at the tale that exists and uh, the and, more people we can talk to, the the, the and more you're not going to see that. the story. I mean, even these points we bring up, you're not going to hear or read elsewhere. As we celebrate our 10th anniversary, is RadioSurvivor.com, and we're running up on our 200th episode. We've got a lot going on here, and we love doing it. And certainly, it's a great privilege to have the opportunity to speak with you, our listeners, and to speak with all the wonderful people who were able to interview on the program. We really appreciate everyone um, and the time you're willing to give us. We we know that time is precious. Mm-hmm. We all feel it every day. And so the fact that you choose to spend some time with us, we, we greatly appreciate. Yeah, you're here. Well, thank you for listening to the podcast version. We, we should still, uh, we have to go back and say goodbye to the radio version. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, uh, on behalf of myself, Eric Klein, and Paul Reismandel, I want to thank everyone for listening this week. Uh, tune in next week for more news and information about, about the kind of radio and sound that we all love here on Radio Survivor. Thanks. <laughs>